Happy Father's Day to all my fathers out there. And happy Father's Day to my dad in New York. Love you, dad. You're the best daddy in the world. How many dads do we have here today? A few. A few. Um, All I want for Father's Day is a nap. Anybody? I now also understand why my dad always asked for new socks. Any men here? How many love new socks? There's nothing like new socks. And something strange happens is socks go into the washing machine. And between the washing machine and the dryer, somehow they turn into Tupperware lids. And so we always have one sock and we have lots of Tupperware lids. And I'm not sure what happened to the other sock and the Tupperware bottoms, but I think they escape our homes. And these are the things I think about um, that really kind of blow my mind, you know? Um, But happy Father's Day to you. I woke up this morning, um, looked out the window, and noticed that a bear had once again been in our uh, chicken coop. I know, I know. I, uh, we lost a few chickens this morning, probably three. And um, so now I've added to a nap what else I'd like for Father's Day. If any of you are looking for just a last-minute gift for the pastor, you know, that um, a gun would be awesome. <laughs> And I mean that in the most American way possible. No, a literal, a literal uh, gun would be wonderful. Um, If you're looking for that, we'd be great. Um, Yes, because I'm going to kill that bear. And uh, I know this is online, and I'll probably get a call from the RCMP saying, there are some bears that are pretty worried about what you said at church today. I don't care, bear, okay? Um, you took my chicken children, I will take your life. Um, but let's pray and, um, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you that you laugh with us and you laugh at us. Uh, I thank you, Father, for your presence in our life and I thank you for the worship this morning, Lord, that we can experience joy and love and peace. In worship, Lord. I thank you for the presence of God in this place. And I thank you for the presence of the body of Christ in this place. There's something deeply spiritual that we are not people gathering to observe. We are not people gathering to watch a performance. We are not just an audience, but we are participators and we are together the body of Christ, Lord. I pray even now there would be a deep sense of community in our hearts, Lord, as we gather. That we are interconnected, woven together, Lord. And if one might be suffering here this morning, Lord, may we all in the spiritual realm reach out and touch them and heal them, Lord. If one is disconnected, Lord, from this body, we reach out and we draw them in, Lord, in prayer that they would be reconnected. Those that are hurting would be restored in this community, Lord. Those that don't know you that walked in this morning would sense that, wow, God is in this place. 
Thank you for this community and I thank you for each person here. We pray continual blessing on this morning, Lord, that you would be blessed with our praise. And in turn, we would be transformed in your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. So be it. We've been going through a series here at Northside on the fivefold ministry uh, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And previous weeks, we have looked at apostles, prophets, and pastors. We're into our last two gifts of Jesus, which are the evangelist and the teacher. And this week, I had an awesome message planned for you on the evangelist. And I had these four steps as well to being an evangelist, and it was really great and really wonderful, and I'm probably only going to go through a very small part of it. And then there's something else that we're going to do this morning. There's something else that I feel like God put on my heart last night as I was going through my notes, as I usually do. I read through my notes. I I memorize a lot of what I'm going to say. I let it sink in. I pray about it. I worship the Lord with it. I sit with it. I let it kind of go down deep into me. So I own it. And then the Lord said, change it. And then I said, Lord, I got to go to sleep. So, Lord, if I remember this change tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'll listen. You know what my first thought was when I woke up? I mean my first thought, not even I want to have eggs and and bacon for breakfast, not even I want to take a nap, even before I wanted to shoot the bear. Do you know what I thought of? The change in the message. So we're going to begin in your notes, and then at some point, we're going to throw the notes out the window, and we're going to spend time with the Lord. Is everyone cool with that? Perfect, because I have the mic. And thank you for those that clapped around board. And for those that aren't on board and want to get off, you're stuck. Sorry, but we love you. So evangelists reach into our community. Evangelist, evangel, literally like angel means messenger. Messengers for God, messengers with the gospel, messengers with the good news. But I, I, wanna, I want us to focus on this aspect of responding to what God is doing when we think of an evangelist. Many times we think of an evangelist that walks around with a backpack full of tracts and Bibles, or they're wearing sandwich boards. They're down at the mall recently. I drove by them a few days this week. And they're walking around the mall and they have the sandwich boards and they're saying something along the lines of, you know, turn or burn, Uh, something along the lines of repent, Jesus is coming soon or something like that. Um, These evangelists we think are kind of like superheroes with backpacks full of tracks and they're just throwing them everywhere they go and we kind of have this picture of what an evangelist is and I want us to take a slightly different turn on that say that I believe an evangelist is actually responding to what God is already doing rather than trying to create opportunity that isn't there. Responding to what God is doing, responding to the voice of God, responding to the heart of God. And this is what it means to share good news. In other words, the people receiving what we say should agree that it's good news, right? 
So when their heart is right and when the spirit is drawing you and when the Lord is speaking and you share the good news, the person will receive it because God has already been working. I remember some moments in my life where I had really good news to share. I remember when my wife and I got engaged and I was so excited that she actually said yes. You know, and I told everybody that I was engaged and they said, for real, who would be so stupid enough to, and I said, you should see her. They saw her and they were even more shocked. (laughs) Did you trick her? Did you blind her? No, she actually said, yes, she loves me. I remember when my first daughter was born, Danae. I owe her $20 now. Um, because I said her name, but I remember when she was born, you know, after days of labor, many, many hours, I always get the hours wrong of how many hours my wife was in labor with Danae. But I remember the moment when Danae came out and she was born and the joy that we felt. I remember holding her for the first time and I was like, oh my goodness, your cheeks are so schmooshy and she's the cutest thing in the whole world, right? Like it doesn't matter how ugly your baby is, you think it's the most cute baby in the whole world and you want to tell everybody about the baby and and run through the hospital, walk slowly through the hospital and you leave the hospital and and you want to, you know, tell everybody as you're driving home that you have a new baby in the backseat. I remember moments much less important, but in 2012, when I went to the Super Bowl in Indianapolis, and I watched the New York Giants beat the New England Patriots, oh, it brought such joy to my heart to listen to people from Boston crying behind me as I celebrated that my team had won. The Patriots were 18 and one that year. Yeah. The one is for the one loss. The 18 is for the wins, just in case you're not a sports person. We love sharing good news. We all share good news. We struggle with evangelism. We struggle with sharing the gospel. We struggle with it because it somehow loses its luster of being good news. Somehow it becomes a debate, an argument. Somehow we think it has to be relevant. It has to be, we have to go through all of these different ways to somehow deliver a perfectly crafted argument for someone to hopefully possibly receive And I don't think it's that at all. I think the issue is is that our evangelism is coming from the wrong place because I think evangelism is responding to what God is doing, responding to the heart of God. I want to read a story from Acts chapter 8. The way I see evangelism is that I am a first responder. For God. This is the story of Philip in Acts 8. Chapter 20, uh, verse 26, 826. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. 
And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Does everyone know what a eunuch is? Google it. A court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So this man is very powerful. Very powerful. He's in the highest level, working directly for the queen. Uh, When it says... um, the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace is like a name. There's many Candaces in the, in the Ethiopian history. I looked it up and there was a, it said Queen Candace from 330 BC who rose up against Alexander the Great. This is not that same queen. Um, Candace becomes a name for queen, uh, the queen of Ethiopia. Interesting little fact who was in charge of all her treasure. So he was in charge of all of her treasure. Very, very prominent. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The passage he was reading was like a a sheep. He was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearer is silent. He opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth. In other words, this man was sitting in his chariot, this eunuch, and the spirit told Philip to go. Who initiated that? The spirit did. God did. So the first lesson to understand is that being an evangelist, sharing the good news, is listening to what God is saying. First question I ask myself is, am I aware of his voice? Do I hear God speaking? And the second step is, okay, I hear God speaking. Am I going to listen? Like this morning, I wanted to wake up and not have God remind me that I'm going to change my message. Because I had already prepared this, and God is telling me to do something else. Now, the other thing to remember is that Philip goes up to the chariot, and this eunuch invites him. How can I understand this unless I have someone to interpret? And it says that he invited Philip to sit with him. See, this is the thing about evangelism I think we're missing is that God is doing a work in people's life. We hear God speak. We're going through life and we're listening to God. God, who are you speaking about in my life, in my workplace, in my family, in my friend group, in my neighborhood? God, who are you speaking about? Oh, you speak. Okay. Yeah, Sue really needs. Okay, I'm going to pray for Sue and I pray for Sue. And then I see her and Sue says, hey, do you want to come over for, for tea and biscuits? You see, Sue's on this journey with God. I'm invited to be a part of that journey. 
And I go down, I sit down with Sue, and we have tea and biscuits, and she's asking me questions, and I'm responding. And this is what's happening with Philip in this eunuch, is the eunuch is inviting Philip to come and share with him. And so Philip is a first responder. He's willing to obey. The other thing about Philip is he's prepared. That when the eunuch invites him to come sit with him, he can explain Isaiah. And he can say to this eunuch, hey, this isn't just written 700 years ago. Philip is able to understand the scriptures and point out to the eunuch, hey, by the way, this that you're reading Yeah, it was written 700 years before, but it's actually speaking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he explains this message to him, this good news to him. The eunuch initiated, the spirit directed, but Philip was prepared. And I believe that we are called as evangelists to respond to invitation. Not create opportunity, respond to opportunity. This week I was invited to perform a very special wedding ceremony. And I received a call and it was for someone's neighbor in the church and it was down at Eagle Ridge Hospital. This couple had been together for many years and they invited me to come simply as the pastor of a friend who could fill out a certificate. And I didn't know what I was walking into because I'd never met this couple before. I'd never seen them before. I didn't know what I was going to see when I walked into this room. But I prayed. I wrote out a service, spent time on it, had some Bible verses, even felt like God showed me some things about their names specifically. And I walked into the hospital room. And if you've never had this experience, you don't want it because you cross a threshold. The hospital room door is a threshold. Outside of it, you can be in control. You can be yourself. You can hold it together and be professional. You can have a a thing that you're going to do when you get into said hospital room. And something happens when you enter this, you cross over this threshold. You're now entering their space. And I couldn't control myself. Like I entered their space and I saw him lying there dying. And I looked at her and I said, I I just, I don't know. I can't handle this. She's crying, I'm crying, people I haven't even met are crying. It was just crying. They had laid this shirt over him, right, with a tie. 
was like gone. And I, I led them through this wedding ceremony and it was word by word. I get like I had to say a word. I take you word by word. And I, um, I go through this whole ceremony with them. And they're smiling and, and joyful. And God's presence is there. And it's the most awkward, painful, joyful wedding service I've ever done. And they celebrated and they put the rings on. They wanted to drink champagne, although that wasn't appropriate for his current state. I got to hear a little bit of their story and how they met and where they came from. I left the room after about a half an hour. And they sent me a message later in the day saying, thank you for all of the love that you brought. They didn't say thank you for following the right lines. Thank you for signing on the right lines so we're legally married. They didn't say thank you for taking care of the marriage certificate. They didn't say thank you for knowing a Bible verse. They didn't say thank you for the agenda that we were to you. They said thank you for the love you brought. Evangelism is bringing love. It's about being love. And we want some formula of how to share the gospel when God's like, just be love. You see, God is love. And so you might ask me, well, did you share the gospel with them? Did they come to know Jesus? Did they, are, they, are they kind of a notch on the belt? Are they in? Are they in? Like, where's the end of the story? Are they, are they, did, you, did you do it? I brought love. When I brought love, I brought Jesus. When people encounter love, they encounter Jesus. When people encounter agenda, they experience us. And when people come to me and I pray for them for a particular need and nothing happens, they get me. And when people come and we pray for them and we see things happen in their life, they get Jesus. We owe people an encounter with Jesus. I can't, out of my own human effort, love people enough. I need the love of Jesus. I, I've had moments in my life where I, I realized as a pastor, I didn't really love people. Huge problem. It's really hard to pastor if you don't love people, but I didn't. For years, I didn't love people. People's needs did not really affect me. I was above it. I could just tell them, principles, teach, but I was above the needs. 
And, and I, I remember even in university, I'm just going to go get a tissue. Sorry, cameras. I remember in university, we, we ran this evangelism. I'm not going to need this. Sorry. I remember in university, we, we ran this evangelism, street evangelism. And we had all these rules because we were taking 100 students from Trinity Western downtown on Friday nights to minister to people that lived on the streets. So we had all of these rules. Wear a blue coat. Um, don't turn your back on the street. Um, don't pick up needles. Don't stab yourself with said needles. Wear gloves if you are picking things up. We had all of these rules. One of those rules was never ever go into somebody's apartment, home, hotel room, or bar. Don't go into the bars. If you have to use the bathroom, hold it. And then I remember this one, this one night. You know, we didn't see a lot of success. We handed out hot chocolate and sandwiches, but there wasn't a lot of success. But one night... Uh, a girl came back and she had met someone. We'll call her Tina for argument's sake. And she said, I met this woman named Tina and, 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 and Tina wants to come to know Jesus. And we were like, it's like blown away. What? She's a working girl on the streets and wants to come to know Jesus. Where'd you meet Tina? Oh, in, in the bar. Where? In the bar at the Ivanhoe Hotel. Wait, you went into the bar? Yeah. Wow. You broke the rules. You broke the rules. Fast forward, make a really long story really short. Tina came to know Jesus. Tina left the streets. And Tina worked for organizations to help move women out of trafficking and whatnot. Tina's life was transformed because somebody broke the rules for love. We've made too many rules in life because the rules that were created for safety can become rules of restriction. Jesus says two commandments I give you. In the Old Testament, there was 613. Jesus said, listen, you guys are horrible. You're horrible at these rules. So I'm going to give you two. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. But something happens in our life. We begin out as children loving. We love God and we love others. But something happens in our life. We get hurt. And when you get hurt, you want to love just a little bit less. 
And the more you get hurt, the less you want to love because you once loved and you got hurt. And each time you get hurt, you want to love a little bit less because love is risky. And eventually we end up in a place being super grumpy, super unloving, but we follow a lot of rules. And I felt the Lord say to me that this morning he wants to heal those places. And there's three specific areas that he spoke to me about. He wants to heal fathers who feel like you haven't been a good father. He wants to heal children who feel like you didn't have a good father. And he wants to heal those that haven't a relationship with Heavenly Father. And on that last one, he wants to heal those who do not have a love relationship with him. Just to be clear, I'm not speaking about non-Christians. I'm not speaking about those who don't believe in Jesus. He said, Joel, there are people in this room that have had a relationship with God for 40 years and have never known the love of God. That he is a father, a loving father. And God wants to show his love in a new way this morning. See, this is what separates us from other beings that were created. He is embodied in love and motivated by love. I'm just going to read this because I don't want to forget any of it. Love, love sent his son to die for humanity. And love sacrificed his life on the cross for us. God begins and ends in love. Our response to God is also love. And this love is met by God with forgiveness and healing. We then can love others. We have capacity to love others. And this is the good news of the gospel. And many of us haven't talked to someone about Jesus because we just don't know how. It's because we haven't experienced his love in a transforming way. This morning I sense that our Father, our Daddy, our Heavenly Father wants to heal and restore areas of pain caused in our understanding of Father. Paul says this in Romans 8, 38 and 39. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know this theologically. 
We know this in our minds. We don't know it in our hearts. In other words, no unforgiveness, no mistakes, no rejection, no fear, no failure, no abuse, no addiction, no regrets, no sickness, no power, no preconceived notions of who God is, no doubt, nothing that you could ever possibly think of, nothing you have ever done could ever separate you from God's love. This isn't just a bumper sticker. It's actually theology. God is omnipresent everywhere at the same time. It's impossible to be outside of God. He's everywhere. And God is love. That means his love is everywhere. It is literally impossible to be outside of his love, even when you're at your worst, even if you're living in addiction, living in brokenness, the worst father in the world, the worst mother in the world, the worst child in the world, even if you're sitting in a jail cell, even wherever you are on the downtown east side, living in a tent, wherever you might be, it's impossible to be outside of his love. I used to preach that hell is eternal separation from God. That's actually impossible. My son asked me once, does God love Satan? Sure, some of you will send me a paper on this. But really, there's nothing that could separate us from his love. I'm just not powerful enough. I can run from him as fast as I can. And I'm still in his love. Usain Bolt can't outrun the love of God. So I would like for us now to pray for those three areas. And a lot of times we're kind of like, Bow our heads, close our eyes, you know, no, making sure nobody sees. Today we're going to just do complete opposite. So all of our eyes are open. And we're all going to pray for one another. And so the first area that I want to pray for is fathers that just feel like you're not enough. And the second area that we're going to pray for is um, children who haven't had a loving father. And maybe let's extend that. Maybe loving is too strong, but maybe it's children who felt like they didn't have a good example of a father or you have wounds from the father. And then third, we're gonna pray for those that 
don't have a relationship with their heavenly father as loving daddy. And so first, I'm gonna ask that those here that feel like you're a dad, and I've had lots of moments like this, and some days I still feel like this, and so I'm already standing. You feel like as a father that you're not doing enough or you're not enough, and if that's you, if you would stand. I wanna pray for you this morning. Wait a minute and then we'll thank you. Thank you. Anyone else as a father? If you're around these brave, Brave men, I want you to lay hands on them. Brave men. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you would reveal to these mighty, mighty men, these brave men, that you are pleased with them, Lord. that they would feel your love washing over them, that they are enough and their best is enough and their imperfections are okay and their failures are okay and their weaknesses are okay, Lord, and you make them strong in you, Father. Because after all, you're, you're a father who... Let's face it, you're a father who crucified your son in love. And I pray that these men would live in the freedom of knowing they are enough and they are loved. Wash over them, I pray. And those still seated that feel this way, wash over them, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Next, I would like to pray for those who feel as children that you didn't have a good example, a father in your life that showed you the way, or a father that loved you as a daughter. And if that's you, if you would stand this morning, we want to pray for you. Let's look around to those standing and if we would lay our hands on them. Everyone laying your hands on them. And I recognize we've crossed over in that threshold, right? But it's okay. Be 
He loves you. He loves you so much. He saw you when you were in that room hiding in that corner because your dad was angry. He knows that you've endured brokenness. He knows that you inherited addiction. He knows that your father was a workaholic. He knows that he was never around. He knows that he never had time to come to your sports games, your concerts. He sees you when all you needed was a daddy and there was no one there to protect you, no one there to support you. He sees you on your wedding day having to find uncle so-and-so to walk you down the aisle because he wasn't there. He sees you that have lost your daddy too young, too early to sickness. And Father God says, I'm ready to step into that place and heal you and be your daddy and touch you and heal you and restore you and heal areas of abuse and brokenness and fractured relationship and promises that weren't kept. He's ready to be that father you always needed. And if you'll risk again to open your heart to him, he will come in and be your daddy. And I pray for healing now over these individuals in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And the third group of people I'd like to pray for is those that have never known Heavenly Father as a father. And that might be those that are never have been a Christian or those that have been a Christian for 40 years. But if you would stand, we want to pray for you to experience that love this morning. Anyone else? Ne never experienced God as your father. Felt his love, experienced him as father. Okay. 
Well, I'm gonna pray for, I'm gonna pray for Joshua, and I'm gonna pray for all those in the room as well, and those online. Heavenly Father, I pray that Joshua would experience you as loving Father, that your love would wash over him and those in this room that have never experienced you as daddy, never experienced your incredible love for them in a deep way, Lord. I pray that we here would experience your love as daddy in a new way and that that love, that father's love would just wash over us, Lord, would permeate. I pray that that love would permeate every thought, every motivation, every intention of Josh and every, everyone here, Lord, as well, that, that that love would literally permeate, saturate every cell in our minds, in our, in our emotions, in our spirits, Lord. Pray that we would live from that love, Lord God, and experience that love. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't we why don't we all why don't we all stand and I wanna I wanna bless you. I wanna pray for all of us today. And actually I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and I'm not sure what song it is, but we'll we'll go with it. And I know we're a few minutes over, but um that doesn't matter right now. also want to thank you for journeying together, for being vulnerable, for being brave, for being courageous. This is the heart of God this morning, and uh, I want to pray for us. Father, I, I thank you that we all here desperately need your love, Lord. I need to experience your love in a deep way. And Lord, I, I pray that on this Father's Day, we would Sense our Father's presence in a new way. Experience our Father's presence in a new way, Lord. And we would live from that. There would be a freedom from that, Lord, as we live from that presence. And Father, even now as we, as we worship together and as we go about our day, Lord, I, I pray that you would be with the fathers, but be with the children. Be with all of us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.